If your business is tired of paying unpredictable and high phone bills, do what I did. Switch to Zoom Calls Cloud Business Phone Service. You'll pay the same low amount every month, no matter how many calls you have in the U.S. and Canada. And Zoom Calls has a really cool feature called voicemail drops. Whenever you reach someone's voicemail, just say hi in their name and then click a couple of buttons on your phone to leave your pre-recorded message. It saves both your voice and your time. Check out zoomcalls.com. That's zoomcalls.com. I think you'll love it. Attention, you're listening to the Todd Huff Radio Show, America's home for conservative, not bitter talk radio. Be advised that the content of this program has been documented to prevent and even cure liberalism, and listening may cause you to lean to the right. Here's your conservative, but not bitter host, Todd Huff. That is right. You are listening to the home of conservative, not bitter talk. Where 98% of scientists agree that listening to this program can stop and even reverse, even reverse those nasty side effects of liberalism. I'm glad you tuned in this morning. Thank you for joining us. It is good to be here. And as usual, we have a lot to get to today. So I want to start, I want to get to this Michael Flynn thing uh, as well, but I want to start today. Here we are, the end of April. End of April, folks. It is really hard to believe this. I will be looking at May, looking May in the eye tomorrow, May 1st. And look, we've got um, here in this state of Indiana, and I know we have listeners all across this wonderful nation, uh, but here in this in this state, we have the end of our stay-at-home order slated for tomorrow. Now, we will see what happens. We will see what steps are taken. We will see if dates are extended for the stay-at-home order. And I want to talk a little bit about this. I want to talk about what I view as some shifting goalposts, what I view, um, again, I I've I've wanted to be fair with this thing from from the beginning. We're dealing with a situation with a virus that you know it's it's uh, it's something that we can't see. It's something that we have a natural fear of, and you know to to some varying degrees. Some people are paralyzed. Some people are well. Some people have no concern whatsoever. And again, I, I shared a, a, a graphic, a meme, or whatever you want to call it on social, maybe Facebook some time ago. Well, again, we're in, we're in uh, coronavirus time, so it could have been Monday. I think it was. I think it was last week, possibly the week before. And um, in that graphic, it showed. It, it said that it's perfectly possible to be someone who has concern for the coronavirus, someone who has concern uh, for liberty, and someone who has you know the things that the government is doing to, to what they tell us address coronavirus, and someone who has concern for the economy and the economic impacts of this, of this coronavirus. And if you can envision the three, the three circles, and of course, when they overlap, there's that section where all three overlap, and that's 
where this graphic said, basically, I'm here. I'm in this spot where I take it seriously. I understand and I'm, I'm concerned about the p- potential disastrous effects on the economy. And I'm also concerned about the actions taken by our government to protect us from said virus, which that's – look, a lot of people are in that situation. Now, there is this quarantine fatigue, and I, I remember from the beginning saying you know, that there's going to be a point in time. There's going to be a point in time with this. We get a certain ways down the road <clears throat> once we have the initial shutdown, so to speak. And the initial shutdown, um, there's a, there's a, a time, a, a, a clock, I guess, in our, in the average person's mind. And I don't know that that differs from person to person, but there's an amount of time that most people are willing to put up with this, and there's an amount of time that uh, it's it, maybe it's built in, especially when you look around. And, and, of course, you can see the data that's reported on the news, but you see mostly, I think, what influences people is what they see in their own you – know, through their own perspective. And if you don't see a lot of people who are infected, if you don't know of people I've – seen, I've seen tweets. People – I saw I a girl from Oklahoma tweeted out, does anyone know anyone that knows anyone that might be friends with someone that knows someone – that has coronavirus, and that was her tweet. Basically, from her position, again, in a place that has a low infection uh, rate and just a not not massive, uh, they haven't taken a massive hit from coronavirus. She's basically said, I don't even know anybody. I don't even know anybody that knows anybody that knows anybody that knows someone that has coronavirus. And there are people that may be a little bit hyperbolic on her part, but there are people who are in that particular situation. They just, they don't, they haven't seen it. There's other people who would say, what are you talking about? I'm a person on the front lines and I've seen this firsthand, um, what's happening in our, in our healthcare system. And so varying experiences, but we certainly, it appears, it appears in most places we've, we've hit peaks, at least for the time being. Now there's certainly an argument to be made that we've I thought that there will be a second wave. In fact, Dr. Fauci said that the second wave is uh, all but guaranteed because, you know, when people go back out, they're likely to pass the virus. To what degree, we don't know. To what degree there may be herd immunity or the beginnings. I know that people say get up to around 70% of people infected. I, I haven't seen estimates that suggest that high of an infection rate, but still people are, um, you know, to what degree will that play a role, if any, for people who had this and didn't even know it? What percentage of the population is that? You've seen in New York City, it's over, it was over 20% I saw that actually had contracted uh, the disease they believe based upon, uh, based upon initial research. But anyway, so we've got this, you know, this, this dynamic and, and people will put up with things for a while. And again, even from a constitutional perspective, I know that there are some, of course, we the, the Constitution does not create these rights, but it recognizes the rights that we have given, given by God. And some of those rights include, not all of them, but the right to assemble. And that right has largely 
uh, been taken away from us. Now, there are some people who say that the government can never can never do that. And if there is a legitimate health care crisis, there's others who, in this particular case, health care crisis. But if you're talking about a communicable disease and something that can pass from you know person to person and we're trying to prevent that and there's a you know a clearly defined uh, problem and something that we're trying to prevent against there are, you know there, there's examples of things that can be temporarily done in times of crisis um, but that's the thing temporary what, whatever the case it's not permanent it's not indefinite and and I want to go back to how this was originally set up the arguments for you know, shutting down the economy, these stay-at-home orders, and, um, you know, whatever, quarantines, whatever you want to call this. But initially, this was about, if you remember, and I know you do, this was about preventing our healthcare system from being overwhelmed. Remember, we were trying to flatten the curve. Flatten the curve that... If, if you ask the average American what flatten the curve meant um, January 1st of this year, we all, most people would have scratched their heads that I don't even know what, what you're referring to. But we wanted to keep the peak. Government says, hey, for the, for the health and safety of our citizens in you know, this state, this city, this region, we have to take the following actions to, to make that, instead of having a drastic peak, hit quickly we want the spread we want to minimize it but but we want to also spread it out over time so that we can not reach capacity and not be able to help those people who are sick because we're simply overwhelmed and you've seen that we've you know thank god have been uh, the the system in, in New York City had been bursting at the seams but there had been enough other support with temporary hospitals and ships brought into uh, into New York City that they could they were able to not ever you know exceed the number of of ventilators uh, that they needed for example and so some steps were taken to where the curve didn't blow past that number but yet it certainly pushed people to their limits and of course there's stories of healthcare professionals and the things that they had seen the amount of Death that they had dealt with, the amount of the amount of suffering, the amount of uh, just emotional turmoil. Not to mention that they're putting themselves in that position each and every day to to, to care for people. Anyway, so that has there's been a it's been highly it's it's been pushed to the max in certain areas. In other areas of the country, you've seen that there's not much of an impact. In fact, I was watching Tucker Carlson last night. I like Tucker Carlson. There's some things that we don't agree on, but I think he's does a really good, really good job. And he was talking about the state of Maine. And the state of Maine has, from what Tucker Carlson was describing, some sort of an indefinite stay-at-home order. And he said the state has had, as of last night when he reported, I think it was something like 51 deaths. And so you start to try to reconcile that with what they're telling us initially, which was we have to prevent our healthcare system from getting overrun. Today, today the narrative has shifted, and now they talk about saving lives. Now, I'm not suggesting we shouldn't try to save lives, but how do we – this begs the question is how do we quantify this? I mean, does this mean 
that there have to be, you know, zero infections for some people? Does this mean uh, restaurants cannot open until there's no sign of COVID-19 within 100 miles of a particular restaurant or city? Is that the criteria? And this also, I will point out, this also, this, this talk about saving lives, which again, I go back to the preamble of the Constitution. We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare. The founders chose these words carefully in promoting the general welfare of the citizens. We, they want people to be, they wanted people to understand what risks were, promoting things so that they understood health risks. But at the end of the day, folks, uh, we're responsible for, for ourselves. Now, does that mean that there should never be uh, some sort of measures taken um, where we shut things down temporarily? I don't fall on that side of the fence. I think that we have to be incredibly careful because this, as we've seen, as we've seen, say, in Michigan, where you've got Governor Whitmer uh, out there basically not letting people go out on private lakes in fishing boats, right, so where she doesn't let people hire lawn uh, service companies to, to mow their yards, I don't know what we're supposed to What – I'm not in Michigan. I don't know what she expects folks in Michigan to do besides hunker down and realize that we're all in this together. I tell you, these phrases, these, these things that are said now uh, constantly to kind of justify or to, I don't know, encourage people to put up with us a little bit longer – I don't know. It's it's just run a little bit thin on me. But now we're we're into the stage where we're talking about saving lives. Again, not criticizing the notion. I'm not someone that wants. Um, am arguing for death or, you know, I, I saw a sign of someone protesting in Tennessee, and it said something that I found reprehensible. Something along the lines of let the, uh, you know, basically Darwinian let let the weak. Sacrifice the weak, I think, is what it said, or something similar to that, which is reprehensible and horrible. I'm not suggesting that, but I am suggesting that our government, its job is not to protect us from ourselves. It's to help us to have information, and if there's a threat where we're trying to get our hands around the situation and understand what we're dealing with, if it's highly communicable and it's very contagious then there might be a, a, an argument to be made of, of temporary shutdowns to prevent X, Y, or Z from happening, but it has to be very defined, very specified, very targeted, very temporary. By definition, we're starting to see that not be the case. And no matter what you say, no matter what people want to say about this, the the goalposts have shifted from we don't want to overwhelm, overwhelm our, our healthcare system to now it's about saving lives. And now... This is where I think, and I disagree with Dr. Fauci here when he's uh, he's addressed not on the science, but his his questioning on comparing, uh, you know, using other other examples of causes of death to compare to this. Because if we're going to say it's about saving lives, then we have to look at what the government does in other areas and what the government should do, what the, what the role is, what the res- responsibility of the individual citizen is. And so I want to talk about that next segment. But the goalposts have shifted. 
But there's also now a pent-up um, frustration, in some cases anger, from the American people who say, I've had enough of this, I'm not putting up with this, I'm not going to stand by idly and watch my, take your pick, my job completely vanish, my business fall apart, my retirement disappear because the markets are crumbling or, you know, I know the markets have, you know, survived, have done reasonably, actually maybe remarkably well given what we're dealing with, but it's still taken a big hit from the the high here back earlier this year. Still, people are saying, now that we have a little bit of an understanding of this, now we understand the risks, why can't I, why can't I decide if I choose to re-engage in other aspects of commerce or society or whatever you want to call it without my state's governor telling me I can't do it, without my state's governor threatening in some extreme examples, in some, some extreme cases, to uh, to arrest people, as we saw Bill de Blasio do when a group of uh, Jewish individuals were mourning the death of a rabbi <clears throat> in New York City. So we'll talk about this, continue this when we get back. And I also want to get to Michael Flynn, which is a big, big news story, big news story when you look at the things that our, our government has been doing, the things that we've, that we've collectively allowed them to get away with. We might have not, 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 uh, not have known specifically, spit it out there. We may not have known specifically what they were doing, but we've, we've allowed this system to grow unchecked for so long. There's problems deeply embedded within our government that we're trying to effectively entrap uh, Michael Flynn. It was a foregone conclusion what they wanted to do. This is reprehensible stuff. So talk about that as the program comes together too. Got to take a quick time out. You're listening to Conservative Not Better Talk. I'm your host, Todd Huff, back here in just a minute. Welcome back. So want to get uh, back into discussing here, discussing here just maybe the thought process on reopening the country, the balance here, the role of our government. You saw, I, I think I mentioned at the end of this program yesterday, at the end of our second hour, I believe that's when it was. I say a lot of words in a day, so forgive me if I've... Um, I got the timing wrong, but Attorney General William Barr has told uh, prosecutors around the country to be on the lookout for state and municipalities who are using, who are abusing their power, basically, who are doing things that are against the rule of the Constitution as far as, um, you know, exceeding the executive powers of a, you know of the state or just abusing the powers in general um, through legislation or whatever individual communities are doing to be on the lookout for that. And that needs to be done. I know right now that's not a popular thing to say, but it probably is for this community. But in, in, in the world at large today, America at large today, if, um, if it is – if some doctor somewhere can say – that a certain action 
taken by our government can save lives, people are for it, even if it means violating fundamental uh, basic principles of our Constitution, of liberty. And that, look, for a time, for a season, and I might take flack from some of you in here uh, listening on this, but for a season, we are there are things that our government can uh, can do temporarily. Again, if it's defined, emergency situation, clearly define what they're trying to do. Uh, there's a clear timetable, that sort of thing. They can they can take actions. But remember, again, as I said last segment, the initial the initial purpose of the stay at home order, stay at home orders, were to prevent healthcare systems from getting overrun. We hadn't. I don't think that technically happened anywhere. That may sound unsympathetic to some of our frontline workers um, who have seen. I'm not saying there weren't extreme circumstances, but I think we were able to. The system had was able to manage it. There weren't, um, you know, the, there were enough beds. There were enough because of actions, especially taken, say, in New York City with with the, these temporary hospitals that that may have helped or converting converting other facilities into uh, makeshift hospitals. I, I don't know to what degree that those things came into play, but the system was able to to still meet the needs, even though workers were pushed to or even past the max. So I'm not talking about the workers per se. I'm talking about you know running out of hospital beds, ventilators, and so forth. So now now that we see that we've hit uh, hit this, it appears to be at least the initial uh, first peak, even coming down from hospitalizations anyway. Now what? Now it's about saving lives. And this is where, again, I differ, uh, differentiate or uh, disagree with Dr. Dr. Fauci, not on the science of coronavirus, but when he says that making comparisons to, say, the number of automobile deaths is not, is not a proper analogy – it is, he's right in one sense, in the you know, in the sense that it's not uh, an automobile death or dying dying while driving your vehicle is not a communicable disease. It's not something that can can spread. However, I will say that dying driving an automobile can be something that's completely out of your control and outside of something you did wrong. Right? I mean, we can have somebody. Uh, who blows past the speed limits, uh, you know, goes through stoplights and stop signs and drives the wrong way. There's a terrible uh, situation here. In fact, uh, we drove past the the, the memorial uh, week or so, uh, this weekend. It's not too far from us, but this happened, I mean, it's probably 15 or 20. It's more than that. It's probably close to 20, maybe 25 years ago now. Some... Uh, individual decided to drive the wrong way up one of the local highways, had a head-on collision in seven, I believe it was seven people who died, five or seven, many children. <clears throat> and she she had children in her vehicle. I believe the person uh, that did this actually survived, and the other folks, I think there might have been one other survivor. It's been a while ago. But the point is, those folks were living their lives. They weren't so it's not communicable in the sense that you can pass it to one another, but you can be impacted by someone who who you know is reckless 
And so in that sense, how the government manages or monitors or tries to regulate automobile, I don't know, not traffic, but rules for the road and and what they're able to um, accept. There's a number of traffic fatalities. I mean, should should we say that the government should accept zero? And look, I mean, these things sound horrible to say. They sound horrible to say because these are individual lives. And, and again, I hope you extend to me the courtesy of something I said weeks ago, which is um, as a Christian, I believe that there's nothing more valuable than human life. We are all individually created in the image of God. We all have within us uh, his metaphorical fingerprints. We are a reflection of him, even for those, no matter, you know, if you walk with him and know him personally, if you reject him, we all still have the fingerprints of God on us because we were created in his image. And life is precious and dear and should be respected and defended at all costs. But there is the element of responsibility. And there's also the element of, hey, what's, you know, we've, We've decided um, we, we we want the rights to just travel freely, to be able to go places and see people and go to work. This allows people to move outside of highly uh, populated areas if they want to live in the suburbs or even further out, so they can commute and drive into work. If more people lived in the city today, then there would be a bigger problem in the cities with coronavirus. But these are people's choices. We have to respect those those choices. And the government's job, they might be able to try to you know, tell us about the importance of wearing a seatbelt. I'm not a fan of seatbelt laws, by the way. I'm not saying you shouldn't wear your seatbelt. I just think this is another example of the government trying to protect me from myself to the point of being able to find me if I decide not to do that. And yes, I've heard some of the reasons why I should wear my seatbelt for the safety of other people and so forth. But it just doesn't stand stand a reason. Again, I'm not arguing for not wearing it. I'm arguing about who has the power to enforce it, which is important in American society because once you give the government the ability to say, this is in your best interest, we're going we're gonna to force you to do what's in your best interest. Suddenly this opens up kind of Pandora's box of where this can go. Suddenly, what you eat, what you drink, what you drive becomes, you've heard me say that these things are all political. Now they become super political. Now they can say, hey, we, you've had too much sugar, or you shouldn't eat this much red meat, or you had too many calories for today, or hey, we noticed you didn't uh, you know, get enough exercise in on Tuesday when we monitored your, your uh, I don't know, your Fitbit or whatever. Right, your Apple Health app on your phone. We're here to help. Right, Reagan. It was once said that the nine most terrifying words in the English language are "I'm from the government and I'm here to help." That's what Reagan said back in the 1980s. Now we've come to accept that. Again, I'm not suggesting we shouldn't try to save lives. I'm not suggesting that there still aren't actions. I'm not suggesting the economy should be just you know there shouldn't be any restrictions or cautions taken. I'm not saying that at all. What I am saying is that there is another cost. What I am saying is that there is a risk of, of you know, what well, we've seen people take advantage of, well, take liberty away from people. And the only time that's justifiable is in a true emergency situation where there's a clear and 
a clear end. It needs to be a clearly identified problem with a clearly identified solution put on a tight time frame. And we need to watch with absolute caution until we get past that point, at which time we can say, okay, back to normal. But see, we're not getting there. There's these indefinite uncertainties. Meanwhile, people's livelihoods are at stake. Their livelihoods are at stake. And there's no magic button. I know right now we're living under the illusion that there is. Everyone received money from the government, or most people did, um, because of this crisis. But you look at the amount of debt we're taking on, this cannot go on ad infinitum. There has to be an end to the madness here, financially, fiscally speaking. So that's not a long-term solution. So I want to continue talking about this. It's brought up uh, some some polls come to mind. Some Americans still prefer these shutdowns in spite of all this, even though half of – I've read that half of the world's population is at risk of losing its livelihood. Half, folks. That's a major problem. That's just not a minor inconvenience. That's a major problem, and it is the direct result of the actions that were taken. Again, I'm not saying that they've not been justified at all. I'm saying – that we've got to get past it, and we've got to get past it as quickly as possible, as responsibly as possible, and as um, well as as, gre- as aggressively as justifiable. Here, we got to start talking about the economy, getting it back on track here as best we can. And I've got to take a timeout. You're listening here to the home of conservative, not better talk. I am your host, Todd Huff. Back in just a minute. Welcome back. Oz needs to understand when it's time for me to come back on, I can't be talking. I can't be talking here when it's time to go back on the microphone. By the way, I want to mention here, remind you, I mentioned this earlier this week and even last week, and that's even taking into account coronavirus time. But Saturday, this Saturday, May 2nd, 1 o'clock Eastern, 1 o'clock Eastern here in Central Indiana, but it doesn't matter. You don't have to be in Central Indiana. You can be anywhere in the world so long as you have an internet connection. You can join. You can join. I shouldn't say join, but you should. You can participate in Freegi and Freegi Auctions and Marketing's next auction. Now that starts at one o'clock Eastern. You can go in. Um, you know, check out these things beforehand as well. You can take some test drives. I think you have to do it by appointment. Check out their website, Freegi Auctioneers with an S, F-R-E-I-J-E, auctioneers.com. It'll explain the steps and so forth. If you want to see these things before Saturday to to drive them and check the condition, but they've got cars, trucks, SUVs, sports cars, over 50 lawnmowers, utility vehicles, things like Polaris, John Deere, Kubota, Compact tractors, again, these things are available for preview and test drives by appointment. You can visit freegeauctioneers.com to learn more. And then next weekend, next weekend, May 9th, they will have a firearms auction, 1 o'clock as well. We'll talk more about that as that time gets closer. But again, freegeauctioneers.com, F-R-E-I-J-E, auctioneers with an S.com is where you can find out more information about that. Just one quick thing as uh, I've gotten us off off the uh, the formatted schedule here. 
I got to take a take a break. But I, I read a, I saw a survey, survey taken, um, that many Americans are still not ready to reopen, uh, to reopen the economy or parts of society again, and. I guess I'll read the numbers after that. But but you know, as as I think about that, I'm reminded of the I mean it's it's our decision. Just because we reopen the economy, it doesn't mean first and foremost that every business has to open. Businesses can make their own decisions. That I mean, call me crazy, but that's actually something that um we used to we used to do here in this country. I don't have anybody telling us what our business hours are. But right now we have people telling us effectively what we can and cannot do. So, um, but individual choice still plays a factor. Maybe there's look. Maybe there's rules. Uh, you've seen places have, you know, tell restaurants X percent of capacity is what you can have right now. Maybe you require masks. I don't know. This is what the professionals have to do. But I do know, sitting back doing nothing besides waiting, and just acting as though everything's going to be fine. They've got the Staples easy button over there where they can just press it. Money appears in your account. That is not a solution, folks. And if you know folks that think that's a solution, um, they need to listen to this program because that is, that's a recipe for even more, uh, more long-term financial disaster as well. So I'm going to pull this poll up so that we can talk about it when we get back. Actually, I'll, you know what else I'm going to do? I'm going to post a poll on our Facebook page. I'll do that during the break as well, asking you what you think, especially for our listeners in Indiana. Should the governor, should the governor put an end to the stay-at-home order when it expires tomorrow, or should he extend it? I'll let you vote on that. On our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Todd Huff Show. Quick timeout. You're listening to Conservative Not Better Talk. I'm your host, Todd Huff. Back in just a minute. Just posted the poll if you want to vote in it for those of you. Actually, you don't even have to be from Indiana. You can vote in it. But this is this is um, for primarily for our Indiana listeners. Do you think Governor Holcomb should extend the stay-at-home order when it expires tomorrow, or should he not extend it? The poll actually says no. It's time for Indiana to reopen. That's the that's the answer. It doesn't. I don't mean to imply that it should open completely tomorrow that's your answer but the beginning the process of reopening there's a there's a number of there's a limit um to the number of characters you can have in your answer and i think it's limited to 25 so i I couldn't say begin the process of reopening i just i just said it's time to it's uh time to start reopening so let's look at this poll real quick pbs has published this This is a poll conducted let's see the poll was conducted uh I saw this somewhere. So I'm, I'm missing it. It's well. I'll find that in a second. Question here in this poll: um, Should you have? Is it time for students to return to schools? Is that a good idea, bad idea, or unsure? Eighty-five percent say it's a bad idea. What about have people return to work? Thirty-two percent say good idea. 
65% say bad. Bad idea. 3% are unsure. Allowed large groups of people to attend sporting events. Allow. You know, these are the things that I really, we should have a problem with. Allow. Again, if there's momentary crisis, I get it. But to say that this this is going on, we, we've heard projections through the end of through the end of the year for for certain places and sporting events potentially. It's what I admire so much about Dana White. Sorry, I chuckle because Dana White cracks me up. But Dana White, he says we're going to resume having our fights. In fact, our next one. In fact, he said the one on the I forget the date now that I'm sitting here, but. The one a couple of weeks ago was supposed to go on, but they had to cancel it after getting some pressure from the state of California, uh, even though they were going to do this at some, I think, a, an island. I don't know exactly, but basically there were going to be no no fans. Everyone was going to be tested and that sort of thing, but the, the state was pressuring them, and so was ESPN, who I believe was, was carrying uh, that particular fight. And so they said, okay, but we're going to do the next one, which is, I think, I think maybe May 9th. I'm not sure. So there's, there's talks about this, but every time we get close, uh, it's, it's as though that they've moved it, moved it out a little further. But allowing, the government allowing people to attend sporting events, is that really where we want to, we want to go with this? 91% of people say it's a bad idea to allow large groups of people to attend sporting events. And again, I get this is a little bit different. This isn't just um, necessarily completely out of the blue, but it is something we should, you know, safeguard against. Even if even if the answer is yes, we should not, you know, or no, we should not allow people to attend large sporting events for the it needs to be we have to define what that looks like. What what are the criteria for when we do that again? Right now it's just accepted as though the answer is no and Hunker down. We're all in this together, and we'll deal with that when the time comes. I just, I'm not a fan of that. Last question here is it time to open restaurants for people to eat in? 19% say good idea, 80% say bad idea, 1% say unsure. Bottom line, at, at least two thirds of Americans thought all these things were bad ideas moving towards reopening civilization and our economy. In fact, in most of these, Answers it was at least it was at least eighty percent thought it was a bad idea, and in one case over ninety percent thought it was a bad idea. So, um, you know, you've got the 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 pressures on people, but you've got the fears of of, of people as well. They don't want to see a a resurgence or a resurgence or a second wave of this. Neither do I. Uh, but we also don't want economic. Uh, catastrophe, which we're candidly knocking on the doorstep of if we continue moving in this direction uh, for any prolonged period of time. So that being said, got to take a time out listening to Conservative Not Better Talk. I'm your host, Todd Huff, back in just a minute. Welcome back. Welcome back. So, in the waning moments here, hour number one. Yes, next hour we'll get to Flynn. As I suspected, we might not be able to get to today in the first hour as well. But we'll talk about Flynn next hour. And the good news is, all you have to do is you can watch us on Facebook. um, Or you can 
uh, you can go to toddfshow.com slash subscribe to our free email newsletter, and we will let you have 30 days of access to Total Access, where you can watch Hour 2 of the program digitally, the exclusive uh, place where you can listen to the podcast. You can do that uh, for free. You get 30-day trial with that. Um, all by going simply by going to toddupshow.com slash subscribe. I want to say this. So we're at a point in society, and I got to push this through here really quickly, but we're in a point in our culture where, you know, we have to ask ourselves this question as conservatives. Do we want to win arguments or do we want to persuade people? Do we want to win our arguments or persuade people? And so I think one of the things that's lacking is some some ways to help actually persuade people to the skill set that's necessary not just to win the argument but just uh, persuade people and so we, we're starting an online series of courses and if you are interested in that how to become a more effective conservative persuader and how to have conversations without having fights about politics with people text the word course to 888-111 and we'll get you information on that guy see you in a minute sdg see you soon